Welcome to the Gospel Ministry of Exchange Church. Thank you for connecting with us for our Bible talk today, and please feel free to share these talks with others as well. It's our desire to connect people to Jesus and grow people in Jesus. To find out more about us, please visit our website, www.exchangechurch.org.au. Today we're going to talk somewhat uh, about the wedding feast that we're going to see here in Revelation 19. Now, I've been to a few weddings over the years and I think we all agree that we look forward to the wedding supper or the reception afterwards. We sort of imagine what's going to be on the tables and the food and whatnot. Well, one reception I went to a little while back, or a few years ago now, they served pizza for every course. Pizza for entrees, pizza for main, and pizza, you guessed it, for dessert. Uh, now, there's a couple of people out the back with a mobile pizza oven and they were going flat out, smashing out pizzas as fast as they could. They would just keep bringing pizzas out the whole time. Now, actually, it was quite nice. You get a little bit, oh, pizza again, but pizza, it was okay. Now, the wonderful thing, though, about a wedding supper isn't necessarily the food, pizza, but what it is, it's a celebration that we share with other people uh, for this new wedded relationship that we have come to witness. That's what the wedding breakfast or the wedding supper or the reception is about. Now, what we're going to think about today is a marriage supper, a marriage feast that uh, God has prepared for us in eternity that he's designed for us to celebrate this wonderful relationship that he has called us into with himself. So we're going to look at that today as we go through uh, Revelation 19 and 20, but sort of focusing here on these first 10 verses. So let me read that for you. So have you got your Bibles? Go to Revelation 19 and we're going to read from verses 1 through 10. Uh, After this I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God. For his judgments are true and just, for he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Once more they cried out, Hallelujah, and the smoke from her goes up forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God who was seated on the throne, saying, Amen, Hallelujah. And from the throne came a voice saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, and you who fear him, small and great. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of peals of thunder crying out. Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come. And his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Then I fell down at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, you must not do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. (coughs) 
Uh, Father, we come before you this morning and ask and pray now that your spirit would come as we begin to think about this wedding supper, this wedding feast. Please, we pray, Lord, open up our hearts, open up our eyes with joy, with exaltation, with hope, with confidence, with assurance of, of what lies before us now, we pray. Fill our hearts with this expectation, we pray, that it will help us to carry on in perseverance to live this life for your glory. Lord, we ask that now in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we've been through some really hard yards over the last few weeks in Revelation. John has given us some fairly sober warnings of God's pure, perfect and precise justice and punishment towards all rebels in his kingdom. We've done some pretty hard chapters over the last few weeks. Much of that has been somewhat disturbing for us in rousing our hearts from a dull sense of complacency in this world as we see how God will deal with the end of time. Uh, But now there's a transition and we're all breathing a bit of a sigh of relief. There's a transition now from this right judgment of God against evil, sin and Satan and now it's towards this restoration and this fulfilment of God's kingdom. Actually, these last couple of chapters here as we get into Revelation, they're like bookends for God's grand story. If you think about Genesis 1 and 2, it's like creation's perfect in what God has done. And we see this perfect world that God has created here. And then Genesis 3, we see the entry of sin and rebellion. And it takes us right up until about Revelation 19, 20, 21, 22, we actually begin to see this whole restoration come back together again. They're like bookends of the Bible and all of us are in between these bookends at this time. Uh, Today we want to think about uh, this marriage supper or feast we saw there in the passage we just read, this marriage supper of the Lamb, Jesus with his bride. Uh, Here's where we're heading. We are invited to a wedding feast celebrating the love and joy of God's beautiful relationship he has with us. Okay, so this marriage supper is announced and there's a feast coming down the track. But there's a couple of things we still need to do or get to before we actually get to this reception. I want to step through just quickly here, chapters 19 and 20, as we arrive here at this wedding supper. And in Revelation 19 11, we see a uh, staggering picture here. It's, it's like the bridegroom is arriving. But we see this picture here that Jesus is a warrior king. He hasn't quite turned up in a three-piece suit uh, for this wedding. He's actually turned up on a white horse and we get this powerful picture and image here of a warrior king who's achieving victory for his bride. Uh, It's a glorious picture and we see here uh, the wonder of who Christ is. Then in verse 13, I'm just going to skip through some of these here. Verse 13, we see there he's got a, a robe that is dipped in blood. He's clothed in a robe that is dipped in blood and he's called the Word of God. Powerful imagery again here that John is writing for us. This blood-drenched robe signifies where the ultimate victory has been won by Christ for us. And that victory is at Calvary's cross where Jesus sacrificed his life and allowed his blood to pour out for the remission or the forgiveness of our sins to pay the price of our sins. That's why he's got a robe that's dipped in blood. This is where he defeated Satan's power of sin and death on our behalf. That is where the ultimate victory was achieved. And that victory is for all those who put their trust and their faith, their belief in who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for us. We actually walk in that victory as we do that. 
He is the warrior king. He is the bridegroom that we're meeting here. In verse 15, John again with imagery describes his appearance. Now this has got to be imagery, hasn't it? He's got a sword coming out of his mouth. John's telling us something here when he says that. We don't believe that John is literal here, that Jesus has got this sword literally coming out of his mouth. But this here is connected with his name, which we saw only a couple of verses earlier, the Word of God. Jesus is the living Word of God. He's the Word of truth, which is like a sword, like a sword that cuts through every lie. Every lie that attempts to deceive us as individuals, as his people. His Word of truth cuts through those lies and exposes that falsehood. It's his word of truth that also powerfully takes down the enemy and defeats all of his lies that he speaks into our lives. Who is Jesus? He's this warrior king on this white horse declaring his word that holds all power and his word cannot be turned back. His word cannot be defeated. It is like this sword that cuts through everything. All the world at this point come with the beast to oppose Jesus, as it were, in this final battle as we're approaching now this wedding supper. What is Jesus, this warrior king riding on a white horse, symbolically with a sword coming out of his mouth? He defeats them by the word of his power. There's actually no battle. They all assemble And Jesus just strikes them down with his word. There's no hundred-day war. There's no decade-long war. It's a defeat by a single word. This warrior king does that for us. Powerful imagery, again, that John's leading us into. In this lead-up to the marriage supper, we see in uh, verses 7 to 10 of chapter 20, the final defeat of Satan. He also is defeated and he is uh, caged for eternity. And then in verses 11 and 15, following on in chapter 20, we see the final judgment before the great white throne of God. Of this we spoke about last week, so we're not going to go back there. But if you want to, if you weren't here last week, you can go back to the YouTube channel and you can grab last week's talk. We'll be spoke somewhat about that. So that's the lead up there to um, the marriage supper. Now you might have thought, hang on Todd, you skipped over some verses in chapter 20 about the millennial reign. We will talk about that on the 19th uh, coming then. What's important to remember here about the book of Revelation as we go through this, that it's not completely written in chronological order. Okay, it, it can be a bit misleading and deceiving for us if we try and read the book of Revelation in this chronological order, like this event happens and that event happens. That doesn't work like that. John does a lot of circling back and looking at things from different perspectives and different angles. So it's really important to see that there. It's not written in a precise order of events. But we can be sure of this. The marriage supper takes place when all the enemies of God are defeated. And he now restores the kingdom back to its rightful order. Then a glorious marriage supper will take place. Marriage language isn't a foreign concept in the Bible. It's not something that's just, well, what's that there for? No, it's not. Actually, throughout the the prophets of the Old Testament, uh, we see God often referring to Israel as his bride. 
again in Revelation 19, back there now, verses 7 and 9, we actually see this marriage supper. We see that a couple of times mentioned there. So there's very definite language here that the Spirit is inspiring John to write for us. We need to ask ourselves, well, what is God trying to communicate to us by using this wedding language or this marriage language? What's He trying to say to us as He uses this to, uh, as it were, put an image into our minds? Well, how do we see marriage? How do we see marriage? Uh, We see it as a very intimate relationship marked by love and care for our spouse ahead of ourselves, don't we? We see this as this very intimate and personal relationship that we have uh, with our spouse, that we love and we care for ahead of ourselves, ahead of ourselves. Look at how Paul speaks about it here in Ephesians chapter 5. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now, that is a very powerful verse, guys. That is a very powerful verse. That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. You see what Jesus is doing there for the church? It's a picture here of marriage. It's this love and care ahead of ourselves for the other person. This is precisely what God does for us and communicates to us through the language of marriage covenant. It's a relationship that he's communicating something to us here of this beautiful aspect of love and care towards us. The marriage language here is a picture of the relationship that God has with us. Now in part, because we still live in this broken world, but in heaven to come and at this marriage banquet, in fullness, really knowing God's love and care uh, in an unbelievable way. Now God actually will love and care for us better, better than the best earthly marriage we could possibly ever imagine in this broken world. You might see some good marriages around there, but you might think they're great. But what God has in store for us is way better than what anything we could imagine here. The very best marriage, demonstrating perhaps love and care for the other, on this earth we may have witnessed, will only cast the faintest shadow upon what God has in store for us. It will be only the faintest shadow in comparison. Eternity in the new heavens and the new earth will be this. It will be unequaled love and care in relationship with God unequaled by anything we've imagined on this earth, that will leave us entirely satisfied and never bored, never grow used to it with the relationship that God has in store for us. We'll never be left longing for something else in this relationship that God has for us. God will entirely fulfill us in in every way. We will never grow bored with God. Even after 10 million years, we will still not be bored with God. His love and care and His infinite ways will continue to wow us and woo us and blow us away because of His infinite uh, care towards us in that loving way. We can't possibly conceive of that relationship at the moment, but that's exactly what it will be as we enter into this marriage supper with Him. Now, part of the reason we can't experience it because a lot of us have experienced the opposite We've actually experienced maybe hurt in relationships, and not just talking marriage relationship, but any relationship. 
we've experienced hurt, we've experienced abuse, we've experienced challenge and pain in relationships. So we sort of filter everything through that, but that won't be the case with this relationship that God has in store for us at this marriage supper. There's a relationship that we will experience the ultimate in pure love and care. It's something we all long for deep down within. Every one of us is longing to be loved and valued and kept. It's it's the cry of the human heart. And this is what God gives to us through Jesus, the love we've always longed for and the value that we've longed for as well. This is the relationship in store for us that we know in part now, but we will know in fullness on that day. Well, every marriage has a feast, doesn't it? What is the wedding breakfast or what is the marriage supper? Or we may know it as a wedding reception today. It's a celebration of this new relationship formed between husband and wife. Uh, We go to the ceremony and what do we do? We're witnesses there to the covenant of marriage as they say their vows before all the witnesses who are witnessing. This is the marriage relationship we are now entering into. It's a covenant till death do us part. And what do we do then? We then celebrate this newly formed relationship. The marriage supper, the wedding breakfast, the feast is a time of celebration. What do we do? We eat, we drink, we talk, we laugh, we rejoice together for what we've just witnessed and celebrate together with that couple. Well, this is what God has planned for us. He's planned a wedding supper. As we step into the new heavens and the new earth where sin, sickness and death are finally crushed, we are actually entering into this wedding supper, this wedding meal to celebrate this unbelievable occasion. Let's have a look here what God's planned for us in verse 6. What do we see there? This announcement. This massive multitude here in verse 6, standing and announcing and singing out with one voice, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. It's announced, it's declared. Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. God reigns and all his enemies are finally crushed. There'll be no more sin, there'll be no more temptation. We'll now be finally united to Jesus forevermore. Hallelujah. It moves on to verse 7. What's the proper response here to that declaration of who God is? Well, what what else could it be? Let us rejoice. Let us exalt and let us give him the glory. This is the wedding supper here that God has planned for us. It'll be filled with unstoppable joy and unrivaled delight. That's what it'll be. It'll be just an atmosphere of joy and delight. It's like this. See? The marriage of the Lamb has come. Let our hearts run wild with unhindered affections, saturated in this excitement, a bit like that first song we sung today. Let our hearts run wild. Let them run wild as we imagine and begin to take part in this. Isn't this something that we long for? To let our hearts, as it were, run unhindered. Sometimes... I'm not sure what you guys are like, but sometimes, maybe you're a bit younger, you might do this, you want to scream out with delight. Kids sometimes squeal with delight, like that's the only way they seem to possibly express their joy. But here at this wedding supper, 
with our hearts unbounded, we will express our joy in Christ with absolute vigour and passion and energy through joy and exaltation for what Jesus has secured to us and what we are now stepping into, not to just know it, but to experience it. It's a wedding supper. Have a look in verse 8. This is really good for the ladies in verse 8. Take note here. You won't have to stress about what you're going to wear to the wedding. Our robes will be given to us. Now, that's a bit of a relief, I reckon. I'm not sure what some of your husbands are like when your wife goes to buy a dress for the wedding. What do you think of this one, dear? Yeah, good. No, I need a better word than good, something a bit more descriptive than that. What about this one? Nice. So it's a bit of a relief. It's a bit of a relief. They're all going to be provided for us. God will provide for us that we will look unbelievably glorious at this wedding supper. And think about this. And you're probably all guilty of it. Well, we won't be looking over the room thinking, oh, she's prettier than me. Oh, I wish I had those shoes. Oh, I wish I had the suit he's wearing. We're not going to be doing that at, that, at this wedding supper. That won't be happening. We'll all be new creations in Christ. We won't be competing with each other in the fashion stakes. We're not going to care about it. We're actually going to delight in Christ and we're going to delight in each other. There'll be no competition there. We're not going to see who can outdress the other person. Our hearts will be renewed and filled with the love of Christ and that love will just overflow between each other and we'll just rejoice that we are there together to know Him and to experience Him. We won't be the centre of attention at this wedding breakfast, at this wedding celebration. It will be all about the Lamb. It will be all about Jesus and that is what will make it glorious. And then we're going to sit down to a feast. We're going to sit down to a feast, a wedding supper. Now again, feasts and meals aren't foreign language in the Bible as well. Has that just been dropped in here now? No, not at all. Now, God has ordained that meals and feasts would be times of celebrations for the Israelites as they remember God and His miraculous deliverance from Egypt as they were in bondage there. God granted they would come around food to celebrate and recount again God's amazing grace given in their lives to deliver them from the bondages of Egypt. God appointed feasts. He actually ordained this to take place. Come around this meal and remember what I've done and celebrate that together. Have a look here at this feast in Isaiah 25. Let's see if you can see some perhaps similarities here. It says this in verse 6. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all the peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces." And the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. What does it do for your hearts as you think about that feast? Doesn't that fill you with hope? 
Doesn't that fill you with expectation? Doesn't that fill you with excitement about what is to come? Don't you have a longing for what you see there where every tear is wiped away from our faces? There'll be no more pain. There'll be no more sadness. There'll be no more tears. And we don't wipe our own tears away. God wipes our tears away from our eyes. That love and that care for he has for us. This is the celebration that God is planning. As we step from time into eternity, into the fullness of our relationship with God, he has this glorious feast planned for us. Feasting on every rich food of all delight. I don't know, chicken, seafood, lamb, beef, vegetables... KFs, I don't know. Who knows what it'll be, but I'll tell you this, we won't have to count the calories. We can put the Weight Watchers app away. We don't need that. It's going to be in perfection. It's going to be a place of joy. We will eat to our heart's content and we will delight in Christ. We will delight in each other and we will do this over a meal of celebration and joy. And we won't be thinking of anything else other than delighting in Him and delighting in each other. What a glorious feast to look forward to. We'll actually be sitting across on tables, possibly, drinking with our hearts to delight, eating with our hearts to delight. Every care, every burden, every worry, everything we've ever had in the past, no longer there. All gone. We'll have no second thoughts. In, oh, okay, I've got to have that hard conversation tomorrow with somebody. We won't have that thought there at all. It'll be just pure joy and delight at this wedding feast. Those things will not even be a memory for us in heaven. We won't be thinking back to the hard times we went through. We'll be sitting across on tables celebrating all that Jesus has done for us, filled with an excitement that will never grow dull and will never grow weary, of which we can't imagine because the receptions we go to, they just end and we all have to go to sleep because we're exhausted. This will never end in the sense of excitement and delight that Christ has for us. I think of that and say, what a feast, what a banquet, what a wedding supper to look forward to of this glorious relationship with God and that we get to experience it with Christ and with each other. What does this passage then begin to do for us today as we think about that? Well, the last few weeks we've had these warning passages with us. And they're designed to wake us up from a state of sleepiness or complacency or dullness towards God. They're actually sort of, they prod us and they sort of wake us up and they stir us. They jumpstart us, as it were. That's what the warning passages do. But this is not a warning passage. This is a promise here of God. This is a promise out of Revelation 19. And promises have a very different effect on us when we actually read them and see the way God's Spirit works with them in our hearts. God's promises are there to build our encouragement. They're there to grow our assurance in Christ that perseverance in the gospel is worth it to the very end. It's there to encourage us. It's there to grow our assurance in who Jesus is and what he's done for us. I can imagine here John, in telling his hearers in Asia Minor, the seven churches that are receiving this letter, he's saying, hang on guys, keep your hand to the plough, don't let go, don't turn back, don't look around, keep your hand to the plough and keep moving forward. Why? It's all worth it in the end. It's all worth it 
in the end. Think about this wedding feast that you've been invited to. Think about that when you are being persecuted. Think about that when they're about to cut your head off. Think about that when they're about to put you into prison. Think about that when they're about to kill you. Remember, this is what God has got planned for you. Be encouraged by that and let your assurance grow in that as you think about what God has planned for you. We're blessed by God, divinely favoured by Him, not for anything that we have done or anything that we've deserved or anything that we've earned, but purely out of His grace, He's invited us to this wedding feast, into a glorious relationship with Him that we know in part now, but there's a day coming when that partial knowledge that's sort of blocked by all the brokenness of this world, we will see it with clarity. We will see it in a whole new way and we'll be blown away by a glorious God when we see him face to face in this wedding supper. You see, meals are a powerful way that we can encourage each other in the gospel right now. Right now. Showing hospitality to others is a loving way of building a relationship and encouraging others in the gospel right now as we continue this pilgrimage and this perseverance of getting to this marriage supper. Why? Because we live in a now and not yet kingdom. Yes, the kingdom of God has broken into this world. Jesus said, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. But it's not yet fully in totality here. So we live in this now and not yet kingdom. So we need encouragement from others regularly to keep pressing on here in this spirit-empowered gospel faithfulness. We need that encouragement, we need that strength, we need each other to do that. That is what God's ordained. And I believe God's ordained that sharing a meal or even simply having a coffee with someone is a means that God, sorry, that God uses to strengthen each other. A meal or a coffee has this effect of disarming or creating a space where we can open up and be honest about life. It's just the way, we, the simple things of life, like a meal, actually create this opportunity to sit and to listen. He, he's, and that's what a meal or a coffee does. It enables us to stop, to listen, to understand, to love somebody, to empathise with somebody. When you just take that time over a meal or a coffee, it actually just invest in their life and vice versa. It's a means that God uses. What it does here, it, it actually goes against the grain of the world we live in. We live in an incredibly fast-paced world. I go past the new KFC in Marupna there, you go there at lunchtime or at tea, the cars are just queued up everywhere. I think it's just grab and go, just grab and go, even though it's a long wait by the time we get through. But that's indicative of the world we live in. Just grab and go, it's fast-paced. But a meal or a coffee actually says... Stop. Take some time. Stop and think about others. Think about what you can achieve here with Jesus over a meal or a coffee with somebody else. Having somebody uh, or a family over for a meal is a powerful means that God uses to build connections and deepen relationships with each other as we persevere on in this journey heading towards this marriage supper. You get a chance to have conversation with people, to ask questions to see what's happening in their life and see what God is doing in them and, and hearing the challenges they're going through as you actually have this time of fellowship together. You get a chance to stop, to listen, to talk, relate with each other, understand each other better and love each other. 
You do that over a meal and just time to stop and listen and talk. And then you can do something that might feel really strange for some, but you can actually end the evening by stopping to pray with each other as well. A glorious opportunity through a meal to do that, to strengthen each other and encourage each other through the journey of life. It doesn't always have, always have to be a meal type situation. It can be something as simple as having a coffee date, a regular coffee date, where you can see where somebody's at in life. The same thing can take place. This is a space for another deeper connection in a more personal setting. And when it's well set up and in a trusted way, you actually can go deeper in your conversations other than weather, work and sport, which is probably... You can start there, but you actually can go deeper in that situation when you set up a regular coffee date. It could be just the point where you can connect with somebody, putting that um, time that's set aside for that, and you could be just the person to help that other person on in their journey in Christ as you set that time aside. Maybe some younger mothers experiencing challenge in life, not sure how to raise their kids, not sure how to deal with the next phase of life they're in. Maybe you could find an experienced mother, hey, could we just catch up for maybe coffee once a week, once a fortnight, and could we just sort of talk about things? It's a beautiful way that God can actually grow us as we actually spend that time together and do that. Maybe guys, maybe guys are feeling challenged by life. You could connect with a, an older, mature person say, hey, can I just sort of come alongside you and just sort of share life where I'm at, the struggles I'm going through? And maybe between the both of us, as we set that time aside, over a meal-type situation, but in a small context like a coffee, God could strengthen you through that creating that community. I think what a glorious way uh, to use our time for Jesus to help build his kingdom as we actually look forward to this ultimate meal, but we can actually have some prototypes now, some look-alike ones that will actually help serve us in that way. Some of us are a little more natural at doing that. Call it extroverts, if you want to call it. If you want to, put, if you want to give something a label. We, we actually can do it. We can make that phone call we, and we can connect and have that meal and do that. Other of us, others of us aren't, though. Others may be a bit more introverted. You might be the sort of one that as soon as church is over, you get in the car and you go straight home. Why not try and change that? Why not try and push ourselves out and see the grace that God can use us in as we connect with other people in these meal-type situations? Don't think about racing straight home. Don't think about being the homebody. I know I can sometimes fall in that context myself. I've got to push myself a bit and I've got to hold Laurel back a little bit, but (laughs) why not change? Why not see what God can do in that, in that meal-type situation to connect with others? It's looking forward to that meal that's coming down the track. It's a celebration that we can actually think about now, but we can practice with others right now. And I can tell you guys, here in this body, there's a mountain of opportunities to do that. A mountain of opportunities to just take time. Who could I do that with? Who's a family that I can invite and actually begin to think about this hospitality, think about this marriage supper coming, and how could I enable them and encourage them to persevere on in this journey? Who can I actually stop and make some time to genuinely connect with? Think about it this week. Think about it today. Who is that family? Who is that individual that perhaps I could even set up a regular coffee date with? 
I'd love to come alongside and just encourage you. And that doesn't mean you've got all the answers because you'll share your story and then they'll relate to you and what's happened in your life and then you'll be amazed what God's Spirit will do through that as you build that connection and that relationship together. So if you get contacted this week for a coffee or a meal, don't say no. Don't say no. Actually see it as God's grace working in your life and take hold of it. Because that will help us to set our sights on heaven, set our sights on this marriage stuff that is to come by, by practising hospitality right now. And that will do good things for us, really, really good things for us as a community of believers. Let me pray. Father, we thank you today as uh, we come and we see this glorious wedding supper that you have prepared for us. God, we think of the words of Peter, joy unspeakable and full of glory. We can't conceive of what that uh, time will be like. God, I pray that you will grow a sense of expectation, a sense of assurance of what Christ has achieved for us as the promise that lies before us, Lord. One day, one day we will sit together at this marriage supper and we will celebrate with our hearts unbounded. We will celebrate with joy and exultation for what Christ has achieved for us. We will delight in Him and we will delight in each other with no sinful brokenness entering into our hearts and minds. I pray, Holy Spirit, let that motivate us now with joy and excitement. Let that also motivate us to practice it here and now. Who can we be hospitable towards? Who can I actually begin to set up a regular coffee date and maybe come alongside them? I pray, Holy Spirit, please stir our hearts with that now, that we would see that we are doing this journey, this pilgrimage together, and we can begin to, as it were, practice this marriage supper now in a smaller way. God, we thank you for that. We thank you uh, today that we know that at some point in time, our troubles will be over and we will sit at this table and we will joy and delight in Christ then. Please, please fill our hearts with that joy and hope now. And Lord, we ask that we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. We trust you have enjoyed our Bible talk from today. If you have any questions or comments from today's talk, please feel free to contact us at info at exchangechurch.org.au. Also, we love to welcome new people at Exchange Church in person, so consider yourself invited to be with us.